My name is Nate, or Nathaniel, and uh, I'm going to be continuing this series called Emerge, specifically looking at opening up to life and what that means for us as we follow the UK government's roadmap, uh, but also as individuals and as communities. What, what does that look like? What, how do we handle the choices that lay before us? I don't know about you, but I uh, was quite excited on the 12th of April for gyms to be opened once again. It'd been quite a few months. Uh, and to be honest, I had completely lost any sense of motivation for doing any home workouts or just keeping active in general. I was feeling quite bleh. And so it was a really welcome relief to be back in the gym, using the weights and the machines. Um, however, one of the questions that I've kind of been thinking about, been asking over the year, is, uh, and it might apply to more than just gyms, but it was a question kind of saying, what am I doing this for? Something, well, going to the gym for me, it was a weekly activity, it was something that was a really big part of my life, and, and it wasn't until all, all of it stopped that I asked that question, what, what am I doing this for? Why, why? Is it because I like it? Is it because I feel healthier or better afterwards? Is it, is it a space where I can clear my head and, and you know, not have any more busy thoughts? What impact was it having on the grand scheme of, of life? Lots of questions to ponder, a little bit of a, an existential crisis. But actually, you know, these are things I'd taken part in for many years. They were a really big part of my life. And it wasn't until, like I said, it wasn't until it all came to a halt that I had the space and the time to ask those questions. Why? What's it for? I suppose over this year, um, but actually especially as a church family, we have had the opportunity to reflect and to take stock. Last week, Judy was talking about our need for lament in this season. Really important as individuals, but especially as a community. And on top of that, we do have that time, we've had that time to pause and to kind of critically analyze the, the behavior that we held before, our lifestyle prior to this pandemic. There was a recent article in The Guardian that highlighted a poll that found a third of Britons feel less connected to their community than they did before the pandemic. And just under 40% do not think that their feelings of loneliness will go away once restrictions are lifted. It's kind of sad. The writer finishes by saying, for many of us, life without God has turned out to be life without fellowship and shared meaning. And in the midst of the most disorientating, debilitating crisis most of us have ever known, that social tragedy now cries out for action. This was actually written by someone who doesn't claim to have faith themselves. And yet, it's clear that something isn't right. Things need to be better. In the ups and downs of life, there is something missing in a life without God. Just this week as well, I was listening to a podcast. It's uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. He was on a, this Radio 4 podcast reflecting on all the lives that have tragically been lost over this pandemic. And he said these words, he said, that just gives you a choice. Do you rebuild as we did after the war with a reimagined system? Or do you default back to what will happen if we don't make the effort? The default is to go back to as things were and paper over the cracks. 
just in the same way that the war turned everyone's lives upside down, this pandemic has also given us an opportunity to reimagine what our lives could be for. And it's really clear, at least some things in our lives or in our society, they weren't working. It wasn't quite right. Something was missing. No denying the areas could have been better. What were those areas for you? In looking at some new opportunities, there's actually a metaphor in the Bible about making wine. And, and you make wine by stomping on grapes, you know, in, in barrels. I guess that's how they do it now. But it's in Matthew 9, verse 17. And it's one of the parables that Jesus tells about making new wine and how you would not pour new wine into old wineskins because if you did that, the, the wineskin would burst and everything would be ruined and be wasted. You, what you do instead is new wine is poured into new wineskins. In the challenges and struggles of, of our life, when you feel like everything is pressing against you, perhaps Jesus is making something beautiful within you, something sweet, something new, turning a bad situation into something good. And this year has been a storm for all of us. We have all been tested in various ways, but God, he has been present, working in us, all of us. Similar to this, C.H. Spurgeon, he hits the nail on the head when he says these words, we need winds and tempests, that means like storms, to exercise our faith, to tear off the rotten branches of self-reliance and to root us more firmly in Christ. That's actually been something that I've learned uh, kind of recently while trying my hand at looking after plants, gardening. There are certain plants uh, that will not grow new leaves or flowers unless they have been pruned. So sometimes that painful work of peeling away what is old and what is dead is actually so essential because it allows new life, new growth, and new fruit. What have we learned about ourselves over this pandemic? In fact, what have we learned about ourselves when we were at our lowest? when we were pressed from every side in the midst of a storm. We have choices to make going forward, now. Having learned everything that we have, what, what has God taught us in this storm? We have choices to make, maybe to not go back to how things were. Laying down what was before and picking up what is new and good. In your relationships in 2019, what was good? that you wanna pick up again? And what was bad that you wanna leave behind? This doesn't just apply to relationships, this applies to any area of your life, your work, your studies, your hobbies, your behavior. What do you want to pick up again and carry forward with you? Let's take a look at the passage of scripture that Hadrat read. Colossians 3, <clears throat> pardon me, Colossians 3, one to two, <clears throat> it says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on, thing, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It was actually only a, a month ago that we were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. Christ was raised, and if you believe, then you are raised with Christ, no longer limited by the sting of death, but able to access eternal life 
with God. Death has been defeated by love, as we sang in, in a song earlier in this service. With that good news, Paul says, set your hearts on things above, on godly things, pure things. We have the tendency as humans to fixate on, on things of this world or on ourselves, and, and we miss the bigger picture, stuff that has real meaning to it. The passage in Colossians goes on to say, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is actually reflecting um, <clears throat> the death in, of our old selves and the new life that we have in God, where we are dead to sin as Jesus took the weight of sin upon himself to give us that relationship with God once again. This passage also actually highlights uh, the symbolism that's found in baptism. So where you, if anyone has been to a baptism or seen one, you lay, the person who's being baptized, you lay back in the water, you're submerged by the water, your old self is dead. And when you emerge, you are alive in Christ. A new creation. You have death and resurrection. It's actually why a lot of the early church baptism fonts, they resembled tombs to kind of give that really clear visual of death and resurrection in, in every person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. And look, new things have come. New wine. We are a new creation in Christ, raised with him, setting our hearts on things above. I actually, I actually find baptisms um, quite emotional whenever I've been to one. It, it, it's quite a significant occasion. It's an individual making a choice to declare their old self dead with Christ and their new self alive in the new covenant, in that new promise in a relationship with God. Thanks to Jesus, it's, it's really meaningful. And maybe that is a choice that you want to consider making yourself. In fact, every day we make choices, not only uh, about what to do, but also about how to behave. And every choice has a consequence, either for good or for bad. Would you say that decision-making is something you find easy? I'm someone, so most of the time, I am someone who I'm quick to make decisions. Uh, I'll decide really quickly. If I'm looking, I'll go that one or, you know, snap, snap, and I'm done. Um, however, my wife and also some other friends of mine, they're a little bit more meticulous, take a bit more time, do some more research before they make a decision. And of course, there are pros and cons to both of those methods. We can learn a lot from each other. But I was watching a, an episode of the US sitcom Brooklyn Nine-Nine recently, and one of the characters, Charles Boyle, he was talking about his family, and he said, Boyles don't make decisions. We delay our decisions until the universe makes them for us. That way, we never make a wrong choice. That's not a method uh, I would necessarily recommend because God gave us brains and logical thinking for, for a reason that we can take hold of our lives. And if we really want to look to a good role model, someone who made decisions who we can try and, and copy, well, why don't we look to Jesus, who was the perfect person, the perfect human within the Bible, and see how he made decisions. And maybe we can try and emulate that in our own lives as well. So how did Jesus make decisions, make choices? 
Well, it's clear from the Bible, whenever Jesus did make choices, the first thing that he did was he withdrew and he prayed. Luke 5 verse 16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Before he started his ministry, Jesus withdrew to the desert for 40 days. Jesus also withdrew to the Mount of Olives just before he was betrayed and arrested. He took that time of solitude to pray, to be with his Father. And all of the times that Jesus withdrew for this prayer, it was just before he had some big event or some big decision, big choices to make. Now, honestly, for most of us, we've had that time of withdraw, withdrawing this year. We've had the time in solitude, in isolation, whatever that's looked like. We've had that time uh, in space in different ways over the year to pause to reflect, like I said earlier, to ask some maybe challenging questions. So hopefully we've got that bit a little bit down. But Jesus also prayed and spent time with his Father. I, I know many within Riverside have taken this year to pray, to fast, to meditate on God's word. And it's really fitting as well that we've got the, the week of prayer walking coming up next week that we're all going to take part in as a church. Even though Jesus is God... He still took that time to pray. Surely we should do the same as well. So the next thing that Jesus did after he withdrew and he prayed was he obeyed. John 4, 34, said, uh, the disciples, they were encouraging Jesus to take some food to eat. And Jesus declined and said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus sought to align himself with God's will. That was what sustained him more than any earthly food. It's the prayer as well that he teaches his disciples. It has the line, your will be done, God. And you might ask, well, how do we know what God's will is? Well, that's what this book is very useful for, the Bible, because God's word contains God's will. We might not actually hear a booming voice telling us the clear instructions, but actually the Bible is full of clear and helpful guidelines for us to live a thriving life that honors God, that honors ourselves, honors others around us, and the world that we live in. So when it comes to issues like generosity or forgiveness, being kind, having self-control, it's pretty clear what we should be choosing. Now, there are questions in life, and you've probably experienced these. There are questions that aren't as easy to discern. Things such as, should I apply for this job? Should I move to this city? Should I be studying this subject? They might not have as obvious answers just from reading the Bible. But the first question that you should be asking yourself is, have I taken the time to withdraw and pray about this? And if you have, maybe you have, and maybe you're still not really hearing from God, you're not really hearing what the obvious answer is. Then another question to ask yourself is, can you continue to love and serve God and love and serve others in one of the options over the other? Maybe you can do the same in both. But that's just a really helpful question for us to consider as we go forward in life, as we choose to live a thriving life. I was thinking about this recently. We talk, we talk about obedience when it comes to children and discipline, but we really rarely talk about obedience with adults. 
God actually calls us to be his obedient followers. And, and I personally have chosen, uh, you know, when people do like a word for the year, this is my word for the year. My word for the year for 2021 is obedient. Something that I've been chewing on. What does it mean to be obedient? Obedient to God. Often we think of our actions only as affecting ourselves, you know, like, oh, you know, you do that, that's fine. You, I'm, I'm going to do me. Um, you do what you want, it's fine. But actually, the Bible has account after account of people who chose to walk away from God's will, who chose to disobey God, who chose selfishness, who chose earthly things and their actions, their disobedience. They don't just affect themselves, they actually affect the whole community. We are not isolated individuals. We are social beings created for relationship within community and our actions do affect other people. It is, however, quite a comfort to know that God's love and mercy is greater than any mistake that any of these people in the Bible made. And God still uses these messed up, broken people for good in the end. But choosing obedience, the path that God has set for you, well, that could avoid a whole lot of pain and hurt along the way. So what does it look like for you to choose obedience to God? So we've seen in Jesus that he withdrew, he prayed, and he obeyed God. Jesus was obedient to the will of his heavenly Father, even when the choices were really tough. And if you are fortunate enough to have lived your whole life and not had to make any tough choices, amazing. But trust me, you will. You will at some point. What kind of person are you going to be when the choices get tough? I really love this quote by Nelson Mandela. It says, may your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. As we are hidden with Christ in the safety and security of his loving grace, we don't need to make choices out of fear. We can choose and we can make choices out of love, out of hope, out of faith. Can we put this into practice though? Is this, is this a muscle that we can flex as we kind of practice choosing to align ourselves with God's will? Well, we can. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says this, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Why don't you set an alarm to remind you to read your Bible? Ask someone to pray with you regularly. Practice patience, self-control, generosity, and invite your life group or your closest brothers and sisters in Christ to keep you accountable to what you're practicing in. Could it be like a daily routine of someone walking around the garden, pulling out the weeds that are hindering growth? Or maybe it's doing that bit of pruning on our hearts to help us become more like Jesus. Choosing godliness first is the right choice, choosing obedience, choosing life. The physical training I mentioned earlier, the, you know, times at the gym, there is some value in that. God created our bodies and he wants us to look after ourselves. But none of this earthly physical training is as valuable 
as the training in godliness that we can do. As the Bible says, this has value for everything, for the life in the present and the life to come. The bigger picture. And, then we, and as we all have different rhythms and routines, how are we going to intentionally prioritize our relationship with God and our training in godliness? Before our diaries become too filled, what is the life you want to pick up again? Whatever you choose, set our hearts on things above. Things that have meaning in the grand narrative of the world in God's kingdom. There's another parable I just want to share with you that Jesus tells in the book of Luke. Luke 12, uh, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? First of all, can we just appreciate the usage of you fool? I feel like that is something we need to bring back. You fool. Got some Lord of the Rings vibe there. This year actually has really given us a glimpse at how fragile life can be. Things that were here one instant can just be gone in the next. What if we did live today as if it were our last? What would we want to do? How would we handle our money? How would we treat people around us? From all that you've learned this year, what is a good and lasting thing that you want to choose to take forward with you? Will you choose to be active in racial reconciliation? Will you choose to prioritize rest and Sabbath with God? Will you choose sacrificial living and frugality? Will you choose to love your neighbor and your community above yourself? Will you choose a boldness of faith declaring the good news of Jesus that you know to be true? Will you choose to trust in God even in the uncertainty? Will you choose life and life to the full? Verse 4 of Colossians 3 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. A life with Jesus is a life with purpose. So what is your life for? It can be a life lived for God, aligned with God's will. What if we choose to prune those dead leaves and let new growth take place? What if we choose for our old life to be in the past and continue the journey of living in this new promise of eternal life, part of God's bigger plan. Thank goodness we have Jesus as our role model who showed us how to withdraw, how to pray, and how to obey. We're going to come to a song in just a second. And, and this song, it speaks about new wine that is within us, the new wine. It talks about laying down our old flames to carry God's new fire today. 
This new fire is talking about the Holy Spirit that God gifted to us. We can choose to surrender to God's will. We can choose to trust in Jesus, to trust that God is going to use each one of us for his kingdom, for his glory.